0: Hello and welcome, History friends, patrons all, to a very special collaboration episode. The first collaboration episode that I've done outside of 5 Weeks to Run Wild, so it's quite special in and of itself. I really, really love this concept. I love doing collaboration episodes, not only because it's fun for me to do, but I love bringing these, like, a different side to the podcasters that you might not be, well, expecting. Maybe you don't know the podcaster that well, or you don't really know maybe how they got into podcasting, or why they love podcasting so much, what it is that they love, their interests in history, how they got into it. All different individual and interesting stories, and all stories that deserve to be heard. And honestly, if in an ideal case, I'd love to do one of these a month, but we'll see what happens. I have a few of them lined up, so don't worry too much. It should be a fairly safe formula for the next few months or so, but... Yeah, Daniele Bellelli. I thought it was only right to start off with a pretty well, well-known, well respectable, reputed historian podcaster. And Daniele Bellelli fits the bill in so many ways. He's a professor. He's in academia, even though he's not a big fan of academia. He's an author, a successful author of several books, which, believe me, having written one book and having two more on the way, I understand what that is like. Yes, indeed, I do. And of course he's a podcaster which is probably how most of you guys would know him. He is, it should be said, the very first guy I've ever had who has his own Wikipedia page. That's how you know you're making it big. That is how you know guys that your history podcast that your career is doing well. Wikipedia. How about that? So me and Dani get into so many different things it's kind of hard to it's kind of hard to really I don't know define this collaboration episode. In a way, we kind of, it's it's split into three if you want to be broad about it. So, as far as the three different kind of parts to this go, even though it's fairly fluid and we jump all over the shop. First part, of it will be kind of talk about academia, what podcasting is like, as and like as far as academics are concerned. Because if you weren't aware, certain history academics have either strange views, negative views, or no views at all on history podcasting. So, a shame as that is, it's interesting to have someone on who's both a historian, a podcaster, and an academic. Like, normally those three things aren't together. That's, by the way, what I hope to do, but... Daniele Belletti's the first guy I've had who ticks all those boxes, and then some, so really interesting to have him on, get his thoughts about that, talk to him about all his books, about the process of writing books, how it is, if he prefers podcasting, all that kind of thing, what his favourite book is, then of course we get into podcasting, podcasting, the reason why he's here And, well, he started off with The Drunken Taoist, if you didn't know, which is kind of like a more conversational podcast, maybe basically just his chance to splurge and spew out whatever he feels like, which is a great platform, and then from such beginnings he decided, you know what, I'm going to try my hand at this history podcasting malarkey, and, yeah, History on Fire, pretty successful, pretty darn good stuff. If you haven't checked it out, be sure to check that out. He gives us a good indication of where he's taking History on Fire in the next few months as well, so if you like your schedule spoilers... Go and check that out too. So, yeah, a huge thank you again to Daniele Belletti for coming on to When Diplomacy Fails and being a collaboration guest. It's really great to have him on, and we really, really appreciate his guesting. So, yes, enjoy this. Let Daniele Belletti know what you thought of his guest appearance on this podcast. And hey, if you guys are just listening now because Daniele Belletti told you to, then maybe you'll check out some of the back catalog When Diplomacy Fails has. Otherwise, you are oh so very welcome aboard. Yes, indeed, we have him. The man with the accent, the man with the academic qualifications, and the man with the history podcast. Let's get into this, guys. Daniele Bellelli, enjoy. Welcome on to When Diplomacy Fails podcast, Daniele Bellelli. Thank you so much for coming on and for joining us for this collaboration episode
2: Thank you so much for having me.
0: Oh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure. I've, I've often had my uh, eye on you since you, you popped up seemingly out of nowhere. Of course, it wasn't out of nowhere, but what seemed out of nowhere to me in 2015, and I was just kind of, I was like, who is this guy? And then the more I listened, it's almost like you're kind of, you're you're one of these kind of history podcasters who's really kind of putting history out there. I mean, Dan Carlin's the obvious guy who's doing the same thing, but... I just, I always appreciate when there's something kind of different. And I think from your accent alone, and we'll get into that, but from your accent alone, it's just so kind of, I don't know what you do. I just think it's really, really special.
2: Thank you so much. I've been having I've been, I've been a blast with it.
0: Well, I mean, I don't know if you've listened to any previous collaboration episodes, but essentially the way we do these is we kind of structure them somewhat. I mean, loosely structure them, and I pretty much fire a load of questions at you. So that's really just what we're going to do now. <laughs> the way the way that look is kind of I've, I've split it into three kind of stages if you like the first stage I mean we're going to talk well I suppose all three stages in one go I mean I want to talk about your career in academia as an author and as a podcaster as well because those are the three things that really interest me and sure we can address anything as it comes along so I guess just to start off I mean I've always been interested in how your career as an academic kind of progressed so if you've been willing to divulge some some details on that that'd be cool
2: Sure. That is uh, one of the great mysteries of life, because I hate academia, but somehow I ended up being an academic, I guess, even though just saying that I feel like throwing up a little bit. Now, there are exceptions. (laughs) There are nice academics and there are people who are really good teachers and all of that stuff. The problem with academia is not the individual cases, which I'm sure there are plenty of good people in it, is the structure itself that is... uh, like any bureaucracy, like any like any institution, yeah, you know, rarely something new and exciting comes out of a bureaucratic institution, and that's what academia is. And so I was never excited about it when I was a student. I probably, you know, had it not been for the fact that I could not have moved to the U.S. if it wasn't on a student visa, I don't even know if I would have gone to college. <laughs> wow. So, it's one of the things that it kind of happened in its own weird way. As uh, I was in college, and, you know, there were the... I was doing fine, you know. I was actually, oddly enough, a good student. I just didn't enjoy it. Um, mm. Because I felt that a lot of the material, the way it was tackled, was divorced from life. It was separated from uh, what makes human beings take You know, it was sure. very dry. It was very... Uh, even topics that shouldn't be even topics that could be exciting that mm. could, they, the way they were approached most of the time was just it felt bad it felt yeah. just in life and so I wasn't told that excited and I was even less excited by the idea that as academics tend to do you have to specialize in one thing and one thing only mm. uh, it's always the way my brain works I always enjoy drawing connections between fields of knowledge rather than diving so deep into one field that you start losing a bit of the global vision. Yeah. So, a lot of reasons for not liking it. But what happened was that um as I at some point I picked up a tutoring job and I was having fun with it. It was I had a good time with it. I was also trying to figure out what it is that I can do for a living, at least to pay the bills, that doesn't take twenty four seven of my life, doesn't yeah go out super early in the morning come back late at night all of that kind of stuff mm. and then the thought that maybe if i can carve myself a little niche within academia where i can just get paid to chat about topics i like that would not be the worst idea ever
0: and that's the dream yeah <laughs> so that's of
2: what i went for it you know it was uh I always felt like I was a ninja because they I would just put on this mask and pretend to be like them where I really wasn't and just (laughs) I'll, I'll sneak into the castle of academia carve for myself this little niche where I can just do my own thing and I mean yeah I will cover the curriculum I'll do what needs to be done but also that leaves a lot of time and space to approach it in a different way and there's really nobody looking over my shoulder and I have a lot of freedom in how I want to handle it. Sure. I kind of like that. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I, I had a blast. I enjoy, you know, my students seems to have a good time. I enjoy hanging out with them. Yeah. The classroom was always good. I It was very once in a rare while you have the class that's a little bit like pulling teeth because nobody's into the topic. But most of the time, there's always a way to make it click.
0: Cool. Oh well, that's great. I mean... Lame- where where would the majority of your kind of teaching gigs be in i got them
2: kind of at various level of the university system in california so i was uh i've been for the longest time at santa monica college which is a two-year college where people go in to kind of do their first two years and then they can transfer to a four-year university i have done them at different for your university. Cal State Long Beach has been the primary one. I've also done for a few years at UCLA. So I, and also that was part of the funny thing is that I taught in the weirdest subjects possible. <laughs> you, know, you got your degree in one field, you teach in that thing and that's it. Yeah. I taught courses in American Indian studies, Asian American studies, history. Uh, a field which I don't get exist outside of UCLA called World Arts and Cultures, which wow. is a of like anthropology, performance art. And I was teaching courses about martial arts philosophy, martial arts history, martial arts in movies, and actually the practice of martial arts. Wow. So, you know, yeah, a little bit over the place when it comes to to teaching. And, and I had a good time with it. You know, this is... Yeah. This is nowadays I'm beginning to switch a little because I just cannot spend as much time in the car as I normally do to commute to all these teaching gigs. Yeah. So I'm kind of looking to teach more online and less in person because I just need more time for, for myself.
0: Yeah. And you're kind of you're seeing the trend where you're very much kind of branching out and doing what you wanted to do in the first place, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And I mean, there will be something. Even let's say I get what I want, and I do get more of this online teaching. I will miss the personal interaction because that's a lot of fun. Oh sure, yeah. And it's now taking too much time compared to what it gives me. Mm. So I I want to dedicate more time to writing, more time to podcasting, and more time to things that currently I can barely squeak by. <laughs> so that would be that would be the goal right now.
0: Yeah. I mean, you mentioned you've mentioned podcasting a lot, but before we get into that, because I think that's going to take up the majority of our time. As someone who who's dabbled and will be dabbling in the future in writing books, I mean, writing a book, you know yourself, it takes a lot of commitment, a lot of time, a lot of, and by the end of it, like you're probably exhausted with the topic and you don't want to see it anymore. And then, of course, you have to talk about it to people in order to, to kind of get it across and all that kind of thing. I'm just wondering. I mean did did the kind of that same that same inner independence within you that led you to do the podcast was that kind of the same thing that drove you to write a, write a book in the first place.
2: Well, I think also because even though you know I'm not the old guy who
0: say you know back in my time still. <coughs> <yo, and, laughs>
2: You know, I am 43, and so when I grew up, it's different from somebody who's 25 now because writing books was more one of those uh, creative careers that still existed and it made sense. Sure. It's changing now because the publishing world has changed dramatically since Mm. those days. You know, today, unless you get a major publisher who decides to dump a lot of money in your lap as an advance, something that has never happened to me, (laughs) but... If that you know, if that's the case then yes, it makes sense to publish with a major publisher. Otherwise if you don't get those kind of deals which are rare and, you know, very few and far between, a lot of the times it doesn't make sense. Because as bookstores are disappearing and there are less and less books and publishers don't invest into getting new on, you know, talk show or other things that you know they don't invest a lot in getting your publicity, getting new actual readers. Yeah. Most of the readers you get are the ones that you are getting anyway. Mm-hmm. Uh, then why do you need a publisher? You know, and that's why a lot yeah. of today are self-publishing, which on one end is great because it frees you from the publishing world, and on the other end is bad because, of course, that means you can publish a book fairly easily, but then it's still not exactly an easy task to get people to know that you've done it, to want to buy it, and all of that. Yeah. So that. Oh change completely over the last few years and it is changing right now it's kind of hard to figure out where it's going
0: (laughs) yeah i I know just from my experience one of my listeners owns a small publishing company it's called wing to sar publishing he's Mm -hmm. of uh, he's of polish descent so i thought that was a that's a great name for publishing company but he he essentially reached out to me and and basically published my dissertation as as an, an extended version of a dissertation and Next year I'll be doing a book on the Thirty Years' War, and after that on Louis the Fourteenth. So it's it's great. Uh, he's very patient, bless him. Vincent is his name, and he he does great work. So that's a that's a random shout out there for Winged Hussar Publishing.
2: <laughs> nice. Yeah,
0: yeah. Oh, he deserves it. But yeah, I mean, I really like the idea of. I really like the idea of it as a creative outlet, and I think that's why podcasting has always appealed to me on the other hand as well i've I've loved the experience of bringing knowledge to people, especially people who didn't necessarily think they'd be interested in it. Do you find just just purely from like a a kind of creative outlet standpoint do you find that the the book or the kind of the podcast are more rewarding?
2: Well, there are different kind of things in the sense that the podcast is uh, a lot easier, for sure. Mm. You get stuff done faster. You reach a ton of people, probably faster. It's, uh, you know, in that sense, in some way, it seemed like a better medium. But there's something about me having grown up reading books, and that was my number one form of art, so to speak. You know, it was that and movies and music. Those were the three pillars of it all oh yeah there's something about getting a book done that as much as it takes so much more time so much more energy so much more, there's a craft there's an artist yeah it's not just about communicating in words it's the style the the language the way you can i really love that and the mm. that i derive from a good book from looking back and say wow did i write that yeah. <laughs> it's greater than what i get but I, hey, look at that cool turn of phrases, or the way I presented it in a podcast. I, you know, that's cool. I like it a lot. Don't get me wrong, but I get more out of looking back and seeing something I've written. And they are at the end of the day, they are the same thing. You know, they are different styles to, to tell stories, to communicate, to pass knowledge. To so, it, it's really different ways to achieve the same thing, and and I model all of them really.
0: Sure. Yeah. No, that's that's good because, I mean, you are a writer of many books and I completely understand what you mean about like having it in your hot little hands after that whole process. Like I'm even looking my one, my one that I did now is in front of me on my desk all the time just to remind me that it is possible kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. it's almost like a like a kind of a victory when you get to the end of that process. But mm-hmm. yeah, ab- absolutely. Even just the smell of a new book—I mean, there's nothing like it at all, really.
2: A physical object where it's there and it's
0: yeah, I dig it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I just I can't I can't express. I mean, I was never really into Kindles or anything like that kind of thing. I yeah. I, I have one, but even in terms of like as taking notes. They're just not as handy. I mean, I'm the kind of horrible vandalist that just writes all over the books that I own because (laughs) – As far as I'm concerned, no one else is going to get them because they're mine. So. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if they're covered in, in my kind of imitation of, of the English language. So it, it's fine. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, back, back to yourself. You've, you've got a lot of books out there from like the religions of the world to philosophy to martial arts. I mean, I'd love to just know yourself which book to you stands out as your favorite that you've done.
2: You know, Ugly Nap is probably the one that has uh, sold the least um, because, uh, the latest one I've done, well, that's also probably the reason why I sold the list has also had a lot less time than the others on the market. But, uh, my fourth book is called not afraid and it's oh, yeah. more of a personal thing. It gets mm. more, I mean, the whole book is about relationship with fear,
0: mm-hmm. and,
2: um, but there's, and it starts with a heavy martial arts action and then gets more into life and personal things. So I would never call it a memoir, per se, but because, again, it's thematic. It's about one thing. It's not about, hey, follow Daniele Bolelli's journey. It's more about tackling a particular topic of fear. But it's done in a very raw approachable personal way that's... Because sometimes, you know, you, you I can write in a more philosophical style and that's great and all, but it sounds... You know, when you're writing in that style, it may sound either too preachy or too, oh, the seven steps to overcome fear, which is not at all what I'm doing. It's <laughs> a little too artificial, you know, where sometimes when you bring it back to the human level, to this is me in this situation, it makes it more genuine. It makes mm. it more... Uh, something that you have actually lived as opposed to some random theories that you um, are espousing. Of
0: course, yeah. Oh, I completely get that. But as you mentioned a little, like you mentioned there about how kind of your writing style, is there a way to even describe your writing style or do you think it kind of just changes from book to book?
2: It changes, but I think there are some consistencies too. I think it's... um, I like uh, my favorite, my all-time favorite writer in terms of style is uh, the novelist, the American novelist Tom Robbins, um, who wrote a bunch of crazy novels from things like Still Life with Woodpecker, Mm -hmm. uh, Another Roadside Attraction, Jitterbug Perfume, some of those. And he's just a master of language. And I love the way he can describe, I mean, it doesn't even matter what he's talking about. The way he (laughs) puts together is just, I love it. So I have a... I do clearly derive some inspiration from that. I do enjoy a lot uh, and more. I like to switch between somewhat of a flowery language to then bring it back very down to earth to a level that uh, um, it's weird. Like my whole gig is to make it seem completely smooth and easy so that my (laughs) grandma could read it and understand every single thing. No problem. Sure. Same time it's a ton of work to make it sound so easy.
3: Yeah. Like,
2: it, in a way, it's a Taoist paradox, right? It's kind of like you have to make it seem natural and simple. You have to work like a dog and bend over backwards to bring it back to that level. Yeah. Oh, so yeah. It's I the- enjoy both. I enjoy certain, like, really playing with language in a cool kind of way, but not making it feel like it's effort.
0: Of course. Oh, yeah. I, I completely get that. It's the whole... Um... It's a bit of an awkward comparison, but that whole thing where people spend hours in the morning getting ready just to make it look like they just got out of bed, that kind of thing. (laughs) Yeah, whereas I just kind of roll out of bed and I look like that anyway, so it's fantastic. (laughs) Cool, cool. Yeah, well, I mean, maybe it's just time to jump right into podcasting then. I mean, what what always interests me is that moment when people think to themselves, hey, do you know what? I'm going to start my own podcast. But. You didn't start with History on Fire, of course. You started with the Drunken Taoist. So, I mean, with that, it sounds like the ideal mishmash of kind of everything that's ever gone through your head. I mean, even the name suggests that it was kind of like you were thinking to yourself, do you know what? I'm just going to do it kind of thing. But is, is is that the way it came about or is there more of a story to it? Yeah, I think it's funny because now that I think
2: about it, out of the three things I do mostly writing, uh, uh, teaching university and podcasting, two out of three I would have never envisioned myself doing them because writing is the only one that actually made sense to me always from the get-go. But podcasting is another one that I would have never imagined. Like what happened was in 2000 toward the end of 2011. I was in, because of a book I wrote, I was invited as a guest on the Joe Rogan podcast. Oh yeah. And it's huge. And I kind of, I mean, I knew Rogan, but I didn't know how huge the podcast, I didn't even know what podcasts were, to be honest. I had no Mm. idea anything. So I remember right before we started recording, they were like, yeah, it's kind of like radio, but you can cast. And I'm like, great, that works. Perfect. So, like, I think what happened was I was a little blown away after the first uh, Rogan podcast with the feedback I got, because I spent three days answering email from so many people who started messaging me. Wow. It's like, wow, check that out. That's uh, uh, a reach that I really did not imagine, did not really understand. So. I started going, becoming a guest on more and more podcasts for a few months. And then on a regular basis, I would have a bunch of people telling me, hey, why don't you start your own? And I thought, ah, Jesus, I'm already so stretched for time that (laughs) I kind of don't want to. So sure, it's a good idea if I could clone myself, but I see that happening. So eventually... That request came up so many times that at one point I was I was on Facebook and I just put out this thing saying, sure, I'll do it if I get, I don't want to learn anything about it. I don't want to learn the technology. I don't want to learn how to edit, how to put it on iTunes, how to anything. If somebody <laughs> can hook me up or I can just go in and talk into a microphone and worry about the creative part and not worry sure. about any of the other stuff. And I know it's not even that hard to learn, but I really did not have the time to invest.
0: Mm. So in
2: my mind, that was my way of saying kind of, okay, get off my back. Me yeah. Nobody <laughs> was going to say, yes, I'll do it for you. So, boom, done. Then I have a good excuse. Yeah. And within five minutes, I got a message back on Facebook. Uh, the achievers who said, oh, I'm a film editor in Culver City. I have access to this studio. I can do all the editing. Evan Calver jumped in, said, I can stage it for you on iTunes, do all this other stuff. And I was like, look at that. Now I have to do a podcast.
0: You're like, damn it, they actually went for it. How about that?
2: And and what happened with that is, yeah, we started and Taoist, which is kind of like a chatty Rogan-esque kind of thing, where a lot of it is interviews or, as you say, it's an excellent container for anything I want to talk about because there's not a single specific topic. Sometimes it's philosophy, sometimes it's politics, sometimes is, and usually it's all mixed into one. Sure. So I had a great time with it. And then after a while, I started putting two and two together and thinking, huh, I teach history in school. I am doing podcasting and having a good time with it. One of my favorite podcasts is uh, Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Mm. Hmm, let's see what (laughs) all these elements together mean. And, you know, of course, it meant maybe I should do my own history podcast. I spent probably a year and a half just doing research without releasing a single episode because I wanted to have a lead. You know, I wanted to be able to have uh, six, seven episodes ready to go before I released one. And so that's what I did. And so History on Fire, my history podcast came out in, um, uh, was September by now? What was it, 2015? Yeah, it was 2015. So September 2015. And, uh, well, I mean, I can say I'm surprised because, of course, that's going to have a bigger, like Drunken Taoist did well. But this one, of course, is a bigger reach because Drunken Taoist, you have to know me and be into my stuff to begin with yeah um, he inspired you are just into history, and as much as I think highly of myself, I can see how there are more people who are into history than there are who are into Daniele bolelli, so <laughs> the audience was a bit wider as far sure. as the fire goes and and I've been having a blast with it it's um the only bad part is the research, that you have to work like a dog on an episode <laughs> so. The amount of hours that go in preparation for a single episode is insane and it Mm. is beginning to get to the point where now my I don't have much of a lead anymore (laughs) and I'm worried about my output in the future because uh, now it's getting to the point where I don't know if I can because I kept a pretty heavy rhythm of one episode a month and each episode is a good two hours something like that yeah it's hard to keep that pace, because behind each two-hour episode, there are probably 200 hours worth of research. Wow. So it's it's getting a little tricky now.
0: Yeah, I remember you saying at the very start that you had a bit of a lead on yourself, but that you weren't sure how things would transpire in the future when you eventually inevitably get caught up on. So, yeah, yeah. I guess the fear is coming together now, you could say.
2: Yeah, I think I'm good till, I will be on time and get everything good through the end of the year. After that, I need to figure out a new way to do research, Yeah,
0: otherwise <laughs> it's
2: not going to work.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, you mentioned <laughs> their research time as well, and obviously that would, that takes, I think podcasters spend most, of, well, history podcasters certainly spend most of their time on their given topic, but the thing that you and I, and I say you and I because our History podcasts tend to jump around the historical spectrum. It's not a history of, if you like, a certain topic. So when you and I go to do a new episode, we have to pick which one, which is great, obviously. But I've always been kind of, ever since I began history podcasting, I've had it in my mind, things I wanted to do. And I'm coming near the end of things I wanted to do when I finished Louis XIV. And that this is kind of the first time when I'm thinking to myself, what will I do now? So w- with you, I just wanted to ask you, was it the case that you...
3: Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.
0: Had all these ideas backed up that you've been thinking of? Or...
2: Yeah. I mean, I started, I think before even starting with a single episode, I started writing down a whole list of three gazillion topics that I either know (laughs) a lot about and I wanna discuss or I don't know a lot about but they sound really interesting and I wanna research. Sure. So that's that's kind of where where it's at. I still have you know, I only got a very small part of the list done. So that the list itself should carry me through a long, long time.
0: And I mean you one of my questions to ask was how far ahead do you plan and i suppose if i'd asked you that in september 2015 you probably would have had a more a more positive answer but i guess in line with that do you have any kind of i mean you're doing on on mesoamerica and this whole grand yep. epic epic tale of the aztecs and i presume the spanish will come into that eventually yeah and uh, that that'll be fascinating because that 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 whole clash of cultures thing has always fascinated me so much but as far as history on fire goes into the future do you have any kind of, like, big whopper plans for it that we should know about?
2: Yeah, the next few, so I have the, the Spanish Aztec series. is a four-part series, so it goes through, um, will carry me through the end of August. I will uh, then do in September one that I've already researched about this lady who's, um, this is a crazy story because, There's very little written about it, but it's an absolutely epic tale of this Chinese female pirate at the beginning of the 1800s who ended up becoming the commander of the biggest pirate confederacy in modern history. Wow. Over 60,000 people under her, and to the point where she was so successful that the Chinese government basically told her, you know, what do we need to do to make you stop? (laughs) You know, you give me and all of my men a full pardon. And, uh, and we keep our money. And wow. the Chinese government said, done, no problem. Here you go. So it's a very weird case of an extremely successful pirate who got to retire, who got to have a pardon. Not the kind of thing that normally happens with pirates. No, not at all. And yeah. The, as a woman makes it even weirder because that's mm. typically what. So it's an awesome story. It was very challenging because there's so little written about her. Originally, I wanted to do a biography of her. I realized I cannot do it focus on her because there's way too little. I have to do it about the Confederacy and mm. the head of it. But um, so that's kind of what I did. So that's going to be September, October, November. I'm researching it right now. And that's uh, Jack Johnson, the first uh, heavyweight champion in boxing to be African-American. Wow, he is so good. I mean, like nine, in the very first decade of the 1900s at a time when, you know, segregation and racism were insane and and the man lived like he, lived, he belonged to a different era. Like he didn't he dated white women, he drove fast cars, he beat up white guys in the ring. He
0: <laughs> carried
2: himself like none of that touched him and like the, when he won the heavyweight championship, there were riots in 25 American states in over 50 cities with multiple people dying as a result because Good grief. so mad about the idea of a black guy winning the heavyweight championship. So it, that should be a lot of fun. Um yeah. Halfway through the research on that one. Mm-hmm. And then to close the year, I want to do an episode with uh, Daryl Cooper from the Martyr Made podcast, who is uh, he's really talented. And we're going to do a weird comparison episode where I will pick on the Sand Creek massacre of Cheyenne, American Indians in Colorado in 1864. Daryl will cover the My Lai massacre in Vietnam from 1968, so almost a hundred years apart. Sure. What's interesting about it is that in both cases, while it is American troops who are committing the massacre, the whole point is not to say, oh, bad Americans, because also some of the heroes of the stories are Americans. Sure, yeah. Both cases, there are some soldiers who turn on their own men trying to stop them. Mm. So that would interest me in terms of... What is that make one guy when they are older go ahead and go shoot that three-year-old? What is that make one guy go and pull the trigger and another guy say, no, we're not doing that, guys. And not only I'm saying we're not doing it, but I'm going to try to prevent you from doing it. You yeah, know?
0: yeah. That's um, a great story.
2: Yeah, so I'm interested in the weird moral aspect of it and choice, mm. agency, you know, that kind of stuff. So that that would be the last one of the year. Cool. Um, but yeah, those are. I haven't researched that one. I'm barely halfway through Jack Johnson. <laughs> After that, January is panic time.
0: <laughs> and I know they they say a magician never reveals his tricks, but I've been told that a podcaster never reveals his schedule. <laughs> so,
2: and because I'm good with this, like I mean, save. Uh, sure, anything can happen, but unless crazy things happen, I should be fine with this schedule, there really is no reason why I shouldn't be able to do that through the end of the year but after the end of the year that I don't know because I don't
0: know (laughs) what I'm able and I'm not able to do Sure, yeah, well like I just had a you mentioned there and I always find these little kind of little bits interesting that kind of just come out, you mentioned there the kind of what is it that compels some people say in the, the Miley Massacre or what have you, some people to just go ahead and do it and others to not so much and even actively prevent it. And I I think because I'm, as someone who's kind of researching a bit ahead of themselves as well, into into the kind of Second World War era stuff where you had a whole load of hateful ideologies going on and then you had certain people standing against them and not really willing to go along with with what was happening. I'm reading a very good book on the Holocaust at the moment Mm -hmm. um, by a guy called Lawrence Reese, I think his name is, and it's supposed to be like the, the most kind of comprehensive version of... That kind of event, I suppose, for lack of a what, what even would you call that? But it's it's incredibly harrowing, of course. But just the the idea that there's something within people that, on the one hand, makes some people do things that you wouldn't you wouldn't even imagine human beings are are capable of, and then on the other hand, there's something within human beings that make them say, "No, I'm not going to do that," and it, even if it kills me, I'm going to stop you doing that because it's fundamentally wrong. And I, I don't know, It just kind of, have you ever come across, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here, but have you ever kind of come across, I mean, the the, the Nazis are an obvious one, but in, in your kind of anywhere, really, have you ever kind of come across other examples of that, maybe?
2: I mean, I think, honestly, they are everywhere, because mm-hmm. there's much horror in history, from, you know, how many genocides have there been, or attempted genocides, how many massacres, how many horror, you know, there's been... Such a long list of horrible things happening in history. Sure, that it's uh, it's interesting to see how people respond mm-hmm. and what it make. Uh, because of course, not all the people who carry out these things are monsters twenty four seven. Yeah, they see the same person who are then nice to their kids or who are. You know, it's very very weird, and I think it's interesting to to me. One thing that history show me is that most human beings are trained donkeys you know they just you give them the rules they respect the rules they go with the program and if the program and ha- happens to be a pretty messed up program they will have a little resistance to it but it's amazing how unless you have an incredibly high degree of uh, self-esteem and knowledge of who you are and what you stand for how it's so easy to just give up one inch at a time to the point where within a very short time you're ready to do the weirdest things. I'm interested in individuals. Like, I think the average human is... It's not evil, per se. I think the average human is weak. Yeah. They can be swayed in a bunch of different directions. Mm. And that's why I'm interested in exceptions, in not the average human, the one who would be able to have that reaction in that situation. That's not the oh I guess that's what they tell us to do, so I guess we should. Hmm. And I think that's kind of what I do even with my pod. Like one difference with Dan Carlin for example is that Dan tend to look at things from a very bird's eye view viewpoint. Hmm. He covers World War One or some big things like that. I like to get into a little more of the individual level of like somebody's biography. I don't do that all the time, but once in a while, I like to get into complex individuals. You know, I've done uh, Crazy Horse, Theodore Roosevelt, Caravaggio, a few of people like this. Now Jack Johnson will be coming up, stuff like that where I'm intrigued in exceptional individuals, which doesn't mean perfect because they sometimes exceptional individuals, they still have some really dark or messed up side to them. Oh, yeah. But I'm intrigued with the psychology of what makes... An exceptional individual, exceptional. What is that make mm. unique? What is that make them great? And what are the dark sides to their personality? Yeah.
0: Oh no, there's a, definitely a lot to be said for that. And I think following on with that, I, one of my themes for a recent project I did, the podcast was five years old, and I did this thing called Five Weeks to Run Wild. And I basically I released two episodes every day for five weeks. So I think my my listeners are still recovering, but the uh, one of the one of the episodes I released in kind of the middle of that, or actually it was at the beginning, but it was the question why history is important, like why it's important to study it. Because I'm sure you're aware history often gets a bad rep. It's seen as dry or or boring or kind of a waste of time or all this kind of thing. And even just what you mentioned there about examples of people standing up for what they believe is right, I think there's real power in that. And I think that really speaks to the idea that history is very important and even insofar as it gives us kind of roots in the present and keeps us grounded and reminds us who we are as, as human beings and that it is possible to, to stand up for what you believe in I think there's, there's real importance uh, would you have any uh, anything to add to that or no I mean I
2: think it's history is the best It's the best way to gain experience outside of personal experience because, you know, most of us, you can only truly know what you have experienced on your own skin. History gives you a window into the experience of thousands of other human beings, how their ideas may or may not have worked out, into their priorities, into their values, into their choices. You see the outcome of those values and choices. Sure. It's great because it really In some way, history is what teaches you how to be human if you teach it the right way. If it's just a long list of dates and names, who cares? Completely irrelevant to anybody. But if it boils down to this kind of issue, if you approach it in that way, suddenly history is one of the most important things, you know, as very foundational thing that anybody should know.
0: Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. I think the one of the things I've really enjoyed from being a history podcaster is just seeing how many different individual stories you can come across, and I know you said there your your kind of approach is to to kind of take it from a person's point of view or do a like a mini biography if you like, so you'd be very much kind of of the opinion that like without history, how else will you get to know? what people are really like or or even like say your ancestors were like the things they dealt with the things they overcame yep. i think yeah i think that there's just it, it always it always if it, it always bothers me when people say that oh there's no point in history and then i'm always comforted when i find a, a really hilarious story and sometimes they can be just really ridiculous and other times they can be really kind of inspiring and i think there's real kind of Real legs to history in general. And I'm so, so honored and glad to be a history podcaster.
2: Yeah, and even think about it. I mean, we for entertainment, we watch things that are like, think of like Game of Thrones, right? Sure. History is Game of Thrones minus the dragons, you know? It's like Mm. everything else. It's history, right? All of those dynamics, all of the political games, all of the power plays, all the weird, cool things that attract us to it all. They are they have happened pretty much every single one of them. Sure, so yeah. History the right way, it's like an epi- an episode of Game of Thrones.
0: It is, and that's kind of I don't know how how much because you said you you have you have mostly focused on kind of biographies. I feel like your your series that you're into now, I think that will look kind of more. Well, I suppose it'll be on an epic scale. There won't be that many different yeah. characters kind of involved, but I guess kind of just talk us through kind of say you had to. Not sell your your story because there's no need to. It sells itself. Like I see Mesoamerica, I see Aztec, and I and I click on that bad boy. But do you know what I mean? Like, it, what kind of, what's the best way do you think to describe the story you're about to tell?
2: Well, I think it changes because yes, this current one is more of a Don esque one, which is a big topic, a whole war between these two peoples. You know, it's it's more. Yes, I do get into personal stories of various individuals involved, but there is no single main character. We're not following one guy through his life or any of that. So this one is more that classic tale. Uh, The other one, sometimes it really is diving deep into one-person tale and see history as it affects them, as it's always filtered through their eyes. This one is an easy one, right? Because it's like the... Probably the last time in human history, you know, that something of this scale can happen, where well, yeah. absolutely had no idea about one another, yeah. run into each other, and not just any people. We're not just talking big scale people. You know, the Spaniards coming from a complex society like Spain was at the time, running into the Mexica Empire or the Aztec, who were an extremely advanced civilization in their own way, mm. and. Both cultures pretty messed up in a lot of ways. You know, yeah. That Spanish culture at the time was insanely bloody and brutal. If you look at the Mexica at the time, they were insanely bloody and brutal. And they ran into each other. It really is kind of like the equivalent of, you know, human beings running into Martians type of stuff. Because yeah. That kind of a tale. And so it's, um, I find it fascinating.
0: Mm, mm. It's literally like one of, those, one of those stories that's kind of like, if we didn't know about it and we kind of read it in a book, we would be like, oh, that's such a great story, but obviously it's not true. It's yeah. one of those kind of things where history is like stranger stranger than fiction. It's just, it makes for an incredible tale, and I'm really excited to listen to it in in its full detail. I'm really excited.
2: Even at one point I realized I was doing too many episodes on it because it's a four-part series, and I was like, I don't want to stretch it out too long. Yeah. At the point what I decided to do was... Um, I ran into this great story that took place about 100 years before the the Spanish conquest. And I was like, I can't add a prequel to the already existing. But I was like, ah, this story is too good. So what I did is I released one episode just as a donation for people who had donated to the podcast as a gift for for donors. Oh, okay.
3: Okay
2: sale to everybody else kind of like as a, oh, if you never donated well then in that case it's 399 something like that where i was like i can still do it without killing my feed for the year where suddenly it's like one topic for too many months in a row
0: yeah yeah oh.
2: But I still want to do it because it's too cool of a story. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah. It sounds like I mean I myself I've often been kind of dragged away from what I'd normally be doing. Like with I don't know if how where you are of Patreon, but we uh, when the plans fails join Patreon and it's been great overall. But what I found it's kind of sometimes it allows me to run away with my plans to a kind of a dangerous extent. To the point that I get so caught up in a story and then I justify it by telling myself that I can provide it as kind of members only content, so it's fine. So right. I, I, I feel like uh you may you may be doing that that plan again in the future if you're not careful. But hey, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. It's it's a great idea to have that opportunity to provide that little extra bit of content to people who will certainly go for it because it sounds like a, a very interesting story
2: the problem sometimes with the patreon stuff is that i'm already stretched thin to just keep up the regular feed of then course adding to it and having more stuff it's like i don't know where i find the time you know yeah that would be the main issue but uh, yeah this is kind of the closest of doing patreon without formally doing it but that's uh, and I had fun with it. That story is a really weird one involving just Mesoamerican people a hundred years before the Spaniards show up. And and it reads like a cross between the Godfather and the Lion King. It's a really weird, funny <laughs> tale that's tense, as most of the stories do. But I had a great time with it.
0: Yeah. I don't know how, like, how you are fixed for the future, but if you ever want to check out Louis XIV of France, he's a... A very interesting character i can tell you firsthand so i'll be i'll be sure to be to be there if you need any any information or anything like that so
2: at one point i want to jump into france but i think my first one french related story that at one point i want to tackle is the Jean of arc story oh yeah of course it's uh, such a fascinating character and also the other thing is i'm not looking specifically for women that in order to meet a quota or something mm sucks sometimes time how much it's so male-driven, so many of the narratives. And when there are great female figures, there's often enough to tell a fun story for 15 minutes and not enough to actually tell a full story. Yeah. A bunch of them that are clearly great characters, and there's just not a whole lot written about them. Joanna Fark is a rare case where there is a lot written about her, and it is a female figure. So I figure, you know, it seems... Uh, uh, I'm naturally drawn to it just because there are less choices when it comes yeah. to female historical figures, and and that's a good one.
0: Yeah, it's it's such a fascinating era as well of English history. I mean, there's so much you can do with something like that. I mean, English and French exactly. history. Yeah. Like, I I got this book. It's called like it's literally called the English occupation of France, and it's such a it's such a weird idea. Like that that it's something. A country the size of England could occupy so much of France like it's such a it's just strange idea and such a strange time but it makes for fascinating history fascinating story
2: absolutely most definitely
0: okay I mean I I just had a back back to kind of near the beginning I was talking to another guy another podcaster called Jamie Redfern who's kind of followed the same sort of pattern as me he started podcasting when he was younger than me but he went through university and all that kind of thing and he tried to get his uh, PhD in classics, essentially, for the University of Manchester. But he couldn't get the funding in the end. But more more to the point, he found that whenever he tried to tell any of his kind of lecturers or, or or kind of supervisors or what have you about the fact that he did a podcast, he never really kind of got any interest from them. And, I, and I'd be the same. There was, I think, one lecture... Out of all of them, who was kind of like, "Oh, I listened to your podcast and very well done." Most of the most of the time, academics tend to see podcasts, and I don't know what your experience with it is, but I suppose that's what my question is geared toward from maybe a different perspective. Say, say one of your students uh, at a certain point was to go up to you and say, "Oh, oh, uh, Danieli, I have a podcast on on uh, on I don't know Joan of Arc. You should really listen to it." How how do you think you would react to that? I mean, it's funny. I think most academics, half of the time, they don't know what a
2: podcast is. Yeah. So let alone that I mean, I had, I remember once in a history department meeting where I mentioned Dan Carlin and there was not a single person who knew who he was, which is kind of funny because Dan Carlin reaches, what, a million, two million, something like that. He's like the biggest popularizer of history today. Yeah is on a level that... And your whole field is history and you don't know who Don Carlin is. It's like, come on, that's a joke. Yeah,
0: I know. it's, It's ridiculous, yeah. So
2: that tells you a lot about that kind of culture. That culture is very insulated. It's very stuck within that academic world and there's not a whole lot
0: else. And I think there's a lot to be said for, I think, well, above all, someone like yourself who's managing to tread both sides of the fence and say hey guys it is possible kind of thing and i guess in my head i would like to do that as well and find a way to not just help students but also help in the future my academic peers if you like kind of look into podcasts and see that there is a real there is a real value in doing them even if oh. even if you're kind of researching them or, or anything like that
2: definitely i completely agree
0: so I suppose then if, if, a, if a student did come up and say to you that they had a podcast, you would say, well done, I know what a podcast is.
2: <laughs> of course. And again, you know, the quality of podcasts varies. Some people are great. Some people are not. But it's always hard to tell who's going to be, like, case in point, uh, Daryl Cooper from Martyr Maid. you know, he's not a historian. He's, uh, his work is amazing. And it's mm. better than over with the majority of historians. So mm-hmm. it's kind of like that A kind of academic qualification doesn't really matter unless you can back it up.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's the same with being a like you could have all the degrees in the world, but if you can't properly teach people or if you're bad at getting across your point, not just in in like written form, but also in kind of spoken form. I mean, there's a lot to be said for those lecturers that are, somehow managed to make exciting things boring and somehow managed to put to sleep a whole group of students who otherwise would be very interested.
2: And that's that's why I think the bar is set so low for mm. in university because the average is so bad yeah. that it doesn't take much to be above it.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm going to try and end on a more positive note because I, I always find myself uh, <laughs> slating academics and slating kind of colleges, but uh, I I think I would really like, well, above all, just to say thanks again for coming on. I really, really appreciate it, and I know my listeners appreciate it so much, too. And if you say you wanted to plug anything in particular, and most of them would have heard of you anyway, but is there anything that you would like to plug in particular? I
2: think there's, uh, I mean, for people who are your listeners who are into history, just start with the History on Fire podcast. That would give you a feel for whether you like my style or not. If you do, then there are 3,000 other things that may interest you. <laughs> you don't get past the History Podcast. I'm pretty sure nothing else would catch your attention. So it's one of the things. It's like, you know, yeah, there are the books. There's Drunken Taoist Podcast. There so many other things I'm involved in. But I think History on Fire is a good starting point. Sure. Oh, by the way, I apologize. But I was trying to record this in the mid-afternoon on a Toscan countryside where everybody's passed out while waiting to go back to the beach when it's still too hot. But somebody just started a chainsaw not too far from here, I'm hoping... I think the audio too bad, but
0: <laughs> I'd like to think they're just starting up a chainsaw and they have no real intention to use it for anything. They're just doing Probably. it to spite you, <laughs> yeah, for fun, Or possibly yeah. to attack the mosquitoes that out here would require
2: a chainsaw to be to defeat them because they are the size <laughs> of helicopters.
0: Oh, good grief! That sounds delightful. Yeah. Oh, before we before we properly finish, I just have to ask about your accent because. Uh like and this might sound like to me this was crazy but as someone who has been told that like I've been told before that people can't listen to my podcast because of mm-hmm. my my very strong Irish accent which uh, like if you live in Ireland and I walk around people have thought that I'm from Canada or America <laughs> or even right. I got told one time that they loved my English accent which as an Irish person is basically yeah, like nice. kicking me very low below the belt so yep. I'm just wondering um. I don't know what the best way to phrase it is. I mean, I love your accent. I find it the most. And I showed my uh, I showed my wife and she instantly got a kick out of it as well. Like, it's just, it's so kind of easy to listen to. And I guess, do you think it's kind of like Marmite? You either love it or you hate it?
2: Yeah, and I think there is a bit of a learning curve. I think the first 20 minutes are harder than later. um, It's one of the things that you can, uh, most people will struggle a little in the beginning and usually they get used to it really fast. Mm. Uh, Some people will never get over it. And so, and that's fine, you know, it's like, I really can't change my accent all that much. I would have to work like a dog to make it happen. (laughs) So it's like, yeah, that's not going to happen. So, so yeah, that's kind of, I mean, I'm sure it's costing me some audience for sure. You know, there's probably... I would probably reach ten, twenty percent more people at least if I didn't have an accent. But mm. yeah, that's but, the way it goes. So yeah, but
0: then you wouldn't be
2: actually, you. exactly one, and some people actually like it and get yeah. more tweets because of it. So it's, it's like most things, you know, usually double-edged swords and all that. Mm, mm.
0: Which is appropriate because I believe there's a picture of you holding a sword oh. in your actual your yep. picture for history on fire. So.
2: There's a on fire behind me while I'm holding books in one hand and the sword in the other. Yeah,
0: well, I'll forever see that now as a double-edged sword because of that. Yep. So, well, thanks. Thank you so much again, Danielli Bellelli. And it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on.
2: Thank you so much, Zach. After this, now I'm officially off to the beach, jumping into the Mediterranean Sea.
0: <laughs> and you've earned it, my friend. Thank you very much.
2: Cool, man. Thanks so much
0: and there we go yeah so was that a different side to him? did you perhaps not know all of that information about Danielli? maybe you did know all that information about Danielli. maybe you're a good friend of his maybe indeed you were very excited to listen to this podcast episode and maybe hey if you weren't aware of who exactly he was you'll check out his other stuff because he's got loads of good quality podcasting content out there all those different series in history on fire, and, of course, his drunken Taoist stuff. I would recommend checking it all out, guys. But, hey, this is me. This is When Diplomacy Fails podcast. And for those of you guys that are just visiting us, we're very happy to have you. And I hope you'll check out some of our back catalogue, some of our older stuff, some of our newer stuff, and that you'll familiarise yourself with the world of When Diplomacy Fails and yours truly, Zach Twomley. So thanks very much for joining us, history friends. My name is Zach. And I'll see you all soon.